Um, as Rosie said, my name's Alex, and I've been part of HTC for nearly a year now after moving to London last September. Um, I moved to London from Scotland, which is where I grew up. First things for, ooh, gosh, that keeps going out. No worries. Um, first things first, I've got a confession to make, which is that this is the first uh, summer nights evening I've managed to make this summer, which I know is awful, particularly as a connect group leader. I can see some horrified faces, particularly Rosie. Um, and I'm very sorry about that. Um, but I do have a good excuse, I promise. Uh, my excuse is that I work for a charity called the Stewards Trust, which I know many of you will be familiar with. And uh, I'm a youth and student worker, and the majority of what we do in the summer is running events. And so I've spent most of my summer, most of my midweeks, um, in a muddy field somewhere around the country, or in Scotland as well, uh, running events for youth and students. Um, it's been enormous fun, but I've been very sad not to be here. Um, so it's lovely to, to finally be here. And I've been listening to the podcast, don't worry, so I've been hearing what's been happening so far. And so it's a privilege to follow in the footsteps of the people who've spoken already. So we're continuing our series on encounters with Jesus, um, which I said has, has been amazing to hear what people have said already. And tonight we're going straight to the heart of the gospel um, to the cross where Jesus died. And we're talking about the two criminals who encountered Jesus, uh, as all three of them, Jesus and the two criminals, were crucified together. So let's read uh, Luke 23, verses 32 to 43. Uh, it's up on the screens. Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on his right and the other to his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you are the king of, king of the Jews, save yourself. And there was a written notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And then Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Isn't it special, isn't it amazing that after 2,000 years, after the most important and pivotal event in human history, in history itself, we can still know the, the thoughts, the words, and the actions of Jesus, the Son of God, while he hung there, dying on the cross. Jesus said seven things on the cross, each one of them has been cherished by the church for these 2,000 years because they powerfully show how Jesus loves us so much and loves every single person in this room and also every single person who surrounded the cross, but also how awful it was for him to carry 
all the sin that was ever committed on his shoulders. And in this passage, we have two of those so-called words from the cross. The first one is where, astonishingly, he asks for forgiveness for the people who are murdering him at that moment, saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And then the second one is where he responded to the prisoner's humble plea to be remembered by the guy who he now realizes is the son of God. When Jesus says to him, truly I tell you, today you'll be with me in paradise. So those are the two in the passage from from Luke. There's also one in John that I want to add to this, uh, this duo to make a trio, which is when Jesus takes the time and energy to care, for, care and provide for his mother while he's dying on the cross. His mother's watching on, and he says to John, his, his, one of his disciples, here is your mother. And he's essentially saying, take care of her as if she was your own mother. And so if you take these three moments together, we get a staggering picture of quite how selfless and compassionate Jesus was, even while he was on the cross, when he was at his lowest, he was at his highest pain and also his deepest sorrow. While he was on the cross, the Son of God had taken, all, taken upon himself all of the sin, all the mistakes that each one of us ever made, every time we've fallen short of the glory of God. And he's feeling, for the very first and only time, what it's like to be cut off from God the Father. And he cries out, in, uh, later on in, Mark's and Luke, um, in Mark and Matthew's Gospels. He cries out in agony saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's feeling that agony of being cut apart from his father for the very first time and the only time. It was our sin that caused that, our sin that caused him to be forsaken. It was our, our, our sin that held him there. And he chose to, do, chose to go through this agony so that we didn't have to so that we don't have to die in the way that he did and so that we can be saved. And so while he's going through all of this unimaginable agony, both spiritual, emotional, and physical agony, he doesn't for a moment indulge in self-pity or feeling sorry for himself or just staying quiet and getting on with the business of saving the entirety of the universe. He takes the time to focus on the people around him, to go beyond the extra mile. And with astonishing, overflowing love, he then forgives his murderers, as we've said. He admits a convicted criminal into heaven after a faith-filled request at the 11th hour. This man is just about to die, and yet it just takes one faith-filled request, and he is admitted into heaven. And finally, he looks after his mother, while he's on the cross. This blows my mind. And no wonder both the criminal who asks to be remembered in heaven and also the centurion who watches Jesus die, both of them see all this and conclude that he must be the son of God. No one else would do that. There must have been something in the way that Jesus said these things, the way that Jesus died, that convinced both a convicted thief and also a Roman centurion that this was the son of God. So the way that Jesus died is something to, yeah, to really cherish and to go through. It's incredibly challenging stuff. 
So what should we take from these encounters with Jesus that these criminals had? For me, it boils down to one question, which is, which criminal are you going to be? And I mean, I don't know, I don't mean to go and choose a particular crime or go and be a particular type of criminal. I mean, which of the two criminals who encountered Jesus do you become when things get tough? There will always be tough moments and suffering for Christians. Jesus calls us to take up our cross and follow him on the road of sacrifice and surrender. And so which criminal do we become when we go through those times? Let's look at the first criminal. This guy only thinks about himself while he's on the cross. And he only cares about his own situation. He takes out his pain and his anger on Jesus. He's jeering at him with all the others and asking Jesus sarcastically to save him. He's resigning himself to the fate that he deserves, which is death. He doesn't make any effort to converse with Jesus or to realize who Jesus really is. And so this sounds pretty unlikely for us to relate to. There's nothing in there that is particularly common for us in in normal life. But I wonder if you guys have ever behaved like this when things are bad. Things like losing hope, resigning yourself to the strange comfort of self-pity and feeling sorry for yourself, retreating into yourself, failing to care or be there for other people. I certainly have done all those things and I'll um, explain one of, those, one of those moments later on. But uh, yeah, I wonder whether any of you guys resonate with that first criminal who in his time of suffering went in on himself with self-pity and lashed out onto other people. So let's look at the second cr- criminal, a much more optimistic view. He initially does exactly the same as the, as the first guy. He, um, in Matthew it says that he joins in the jeering and the abuse of Jesus. But this guy was humble enough and aware enough to see Jesus' compassion and his selflessness as he's caring for people while he's on the cross and forgiving people while on the cross. And he realizes the change. He realizes that Jesus must be more than just a man. He changes his mind and realizing that he himself has been punished justly, realizes that Jesus is innocent and must be the son of God and the way that he's dying and the reason he's dying for. And so this guy humbly changes his mind and submits and acknowledges his own guilt and weakness by asking Jesus to forgive him and to give him a place in heaven that he does not deserve at all. So he acknowledges his weakness and his own guilt and says, I've, I've made this mistake. I know I'm here for a right reason. You're not here for a right reason, but please give me a place in heaven where you're going. So this should be our response to all that Jesus did on the cross, the humble acknowledgement that we are guilty of our sins, like, that, like both prisoners, but also that Jesus can save us through his grace and through his overwhelming love for us, just by one request, one faith-filled request can save us, as he did for the second prisoner. We can turn to Jesus and accept his free forgiveness just with one word. So I've lived through both of these responses. I'm sure probably many of you have lived through periods of, of both sides of the, of the argument there, both sides of the question. But particularly over the last years, I've done deep parts of both. Um, in 2019, um, early 2019, I had um, a really severe stroke 
when a big blood clot got stuck in the back of my neck and cut off the blood flow to my left side of my brain. And I lost my speech. I lost my, the whole of my right side of my, um, my body. Um, I was home alone. I would lay there for about four or five hours, which is not good if you know that strokes should be treated incredibly quickly. Um, and things were not looking good. Um, but, and I won't go through the, there's a quite a long saga there, so if you ever want to hear the full story, please ask me. But uh, basically ended up having a mad recovery. Doctors still don't quite know what went on. There were multiple things that should have killed me. They didn't somehow. God sort of took me through a serious minefield there. And yeah, God's been incredibly good and has recovered my speech so much that I'm able to stand up and speak today, which is wonderful, and I love doing this now because it's just um, yeah, a testimony of what God's done um, and also speech-language therapy for a year and a half, but that's also, yeah, God and man work together. Um, <laughs> um, and so, yeah, I've basically been left from this experience with this amazing gratitude for life, which I guess is to be expected if you've um, diced with death, um, and also a bit of an urgency about how fragile life is and how important it is to build God's kingdom here as much as we can, as quickly as we can, because we never quite know where our life might be required of us or when Jesus might come. So I've been sort of spurred on, I think, because of this to um, care way more than I did before for other people, for serving others, um, particularly sort of the marginalized in society and getting involved with um, charities like IGM or Open Doors and as Rosie was praying for our persecuted brothers and sisters in Afghanistan, um, those kind of things. If suddenly my heart some, somehow has been changed so much more to um, care much more for people. And so that's where I, I resonate much more with the, with the second criminal, um, being able to, even in suffering, even in a tough two years that I've had in recovery from the stroke, um, to be able to, yeah, care for others, even though things might be tough. But as probably is to be expected, I've also had moments where I've been more like the first criminal. Over these last two years, I've been left much weaker, um, much slower, much more tired than I was before. And so this has led to long periods at times where I have fallen to deep, deep self-pity, feeling really sorry for myself, um, which has led me to a sort of massive lack of compassion and anger at life and at other people, um, falling into sort of self-comfort um, through other, other things, just feeling sorry for myself and not really caring about God, not caring about others, and just sort of switching off. Um, and that's, yeah, obviously not good, and that very much relates to the first um, prisoner who's just in his moment of deep suffering is just releasing anger on other people and getting frustrated. What I didn't do, which I'm learning to slowly but surely, is to in those moments, even if I'm feeling self-pity and struggling with stuff, is to go to God and draw on his strength, not try and look for comfort elsewhere. Draw on his strength, which is made perfect in weakness, as it says in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, one of my favorite verses. So I found the, the response to the first criminal, the, the guy who's constantly um, frustrated and throwing abuse, I found when I live in that, I'm just constantly bitter. It's so unfulfilling, even though it's really tempting to do that sometimes. It's weirdly uh, attractive and tempting to fall into self-pity and feeling sorry for myself. So I don't know whether any of that resonates with you guys, um, but basically I just wanted to say that when things turn sour and we get stuck in life, instead of losing hope, falling into that self-pity or forgetting others, we can turn to Jesus, receive his grace like that second criminal, 
rely on his strength and follow his example of continuing to love and serve others even when we ourselves are at our weakest in suffering because Jesus has done that before us. Jesus at a point of unimaginable suffering was still caring and loving others and that's the example we have to follow. So maybe some of us tonight have been hiding for a while in that self-pity or in that temptation to feel sorry for ourselves or we know that we have a tendency to that as I think I do. I would just encourage you to be inspired and challenged by Jesus' compassion on the cross and drawn his strength to continue to think of and care about the others, others around you, even if you feel like you've got nothing to give. I can promise you that doing this both is an amazing witness to other people about the love of God and how the love never ends, even when you feel like you're at your lowest ebb, you can draw on his strength. And so it's amazing for other people to see that. But it's also, in my experience, the best way to get out of that sort of insular rut of self-pity and being isolating, uh, isolated and feeling sorry for myself and feeling hopeless. Just getting out there and serving and loving and doing um, things for other people um, is just an incredible way of getting out of hopelessness. So let's never lose sight of why Jesus died, but also the way he died, what he said on the cross, what he did on the cross. We talk so much about the kind of the theological significance of Jesus on the cross, but do take time to look at what he actually did on the cross, what he said, because there's so much in there that we can take for our own lives. His example was perfect to the very end. Let's finish with Ephesians 5.2, which says, live a life full of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Let's pray to finish. Lord, we thank you so much for sending your son to come on earth and die for us in the most horrifying fashion. But Jesus, we thank you so much that your example is perfect and that although we subjected you to that horror through our sin, that you still loved us, you still loved the people around you while you were dying on the cross. I pray, Lord, we all pray that we can follow your example and even when we feel up to our lowest ebb, when we feel um, in our deepest suffering, that we can still turn and love others in the way that you have loved us. Lord, please fill us with your strength. Help us turn to you to find, our, to find your strength whenever we feel like we are weak. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Oh,